Hi everyone, good evening. Welcome to your Hawks Insiders. Back to the traditional value Thursday night safe space. We're going to be with you every Thursday night, I think now till at least the end of the home and away season. And I'm sure uh, quite often after that, my name is Ashley Brown. Good to be with you once again in, uh, well, it's bittersweet. Period for the Hawks with a win on the field last week, but some more sad news off it. We'll get to all that in the next hour or so, as I am joined once again by my friends and co-hosts. Hello, Andrew Weiss. G'day, Ash. Good evening, everyone. And awesome to have a week full of brown and gold. Plenty to talk about. As you said, started off positive, bit of sadness, a bit of speculation on some stuff throughout the week and looking forward to covering it all tonight. We've got a full board tonight, lots to talk about. Um, Darren Levine, hello. Hi, Ash. Hi, everyone. Yeah, definitely a bit of sweet week for the Hawks. Uh, I was up and about after those wins, but, uh, yeah, a bit of tragic news, obviously, through the week and uh, definitely a lot to talk about tonight. And Brad Klebanski, hello. Good evening, all. Echo everyone's comments. Great week started off brilliantly, you know, six o'clock Sunday night was great to finally get a win. Really good team performance. Unfortunately, really sad news once again during the week, which I'm sure we'll touch on. And with us, I think, for the whole performance this week is uh, Simon Morowitz. No futsal tonight, Simon. Yes, uh, you get me because we didn't make the grand final. So um, I get to be here, which is just as good. Um, and I got to, uh, I actually got to go to the game on the weekend. I don't usually get to do that much these days because um, we don't get too many night games. But I've got the young kids, so it keeps me pretty busy on the weekends. Um, but I was offered some medallion club tickets, and you don't turn that down. So I managed to get there for a win this time. It's the first win that I've seen this year. Well, we can thank Bracha for giving you the leave pass for <laughs> yeah. the day. Next time I bump into Coles, I'll, uh, I'll offer my heartfelt thanks. As always, this is a not just the five of us talking. Apologies tonight from Danny Prince, not feeling great. I had some homework for Danny, but he'll have to wait till next week. Uh, please, as many of you as are listening, want to chime in with a question, observation, criticism. We're open to criticism as well here. Uh, please uh, make a request to speak and we will get you on. We want to make this a broad conversation about Hawks and a few other bits and pieces. Well, a couple of other outside things in football will get outside Hawthorne will certainly get a run tonight. Let's start as always with the quick look back at the Crows game. Uh, nice to talk about a win for a change. Looking forward to your views as I did not get to the game and still have not seen the entire replay. So I'm going to be educated for the next few minutes by those that did see the whole thing and in some cases were there as well. Hawthorne 13 8, 86 defeated Adelaide. Eight six fifty four, five goals to Mitch Lewis being the absolute highlight. Uh, Danny was down for the good, but he's not here now. So, Mara, you were there in the Medallion Club, sipping champagne through that champagne performance. Tell us about the good. The good was the uh, Riesling, actually. I thought it was fantastic this week. Um, no, I'm definitely more of a red wine man anyway. The good was, I mean, the first quarter was unbelievable. Um, and Mitch Lewis's first half, I know he was subdued in the second half, but he did all the damage that that he um, that we could do in the first half, and he pretty much ended the game himself. So he was fantastic. Um, I thought in the back line, 
Hardwick and Sicily were amazing. James Blank um, had the sort of game that makes me really encouraged for um, his future in that position. He was his closing speed was really good. He never really let Walker get on the lead, which I thought was really really good. Um, and I, it would be remiss of me to not also include Finn McGuinness in this role. Um, watching the Crows come out in the third quarter and seeing Jordan Dawson lining up in the forward line just to escape the tag was both very heartening um, and very encouraging for him. Um, and it makes you wonder why coaches don't do that more often. I mean, Dawson and and the sort of Daniel Rich and the Jake Lloyd types and Caleb Daniels, they're so damaging and they, they're so beatable. Just have a guy accountable for them and you can take away all of the the run and precision kicking out of half back. Um, I would I would use him in that role just about weekly. Why not? Mara, question for you. Uh, you mentioned him. So three games in, is James Blank already making similar progress at senior level as Jai Newcomb, the standard bearer for all Hawthorne mid-season draft selections, as Jai Newcomb was this time last year? Not to say he's going to be as good in 12 months' time, but is he tracking at a similar rate through three games? Well, Jai Newcomb after one game, had already done something unprecedented. Um, and I don't know what Blank he's doing is, is unprecedented, but he's doing it in a pretty difficult position and to a standard that really has me reshaping the long-term future of our backline. Um, so, yeah, to that end, yes. I mean, most people who come in first couple of games, you get a look at them, whatever, and you think maybe they are... You know, maybe that could be handy. Um, but I, I'm thinking this kid doesn't get dropped. I mean, he's that's his spot now. Yeah. He keeps that. And that is unbelievable for for what he's been able to achieve and the sort of rise and, and the speed of that rise. Then in that respect, and also the fact that he was a mid-season draft pick, I guess you can compare him to Jai. Very good. I agree with you. Um, Brad, the bad. Uh, not great. a lot of bad. The only bad I really had was quarter number three. We kicked three points for the quarter after such a positive first half to come out as flat as we did in the third quarter was disappointing. You know, obviously playing uh, the Crows helped us because they only kicked two goals. But had we been playing against a stronger side, I think we would have got a little uh, worried. It was great to see us bounce back in the fourth quarter and obviously win quite easily in the end. But we came out quite flat. I think Jai might have copped a knock in the end of the second quarter. I think he started the second half on the bench down the rooms. It was interesting to see our midfielders in Newcomb, Mitchell and Jager. They only played about, I think, 70 to 73% uh, game time for the whole match. So we see Sam keeps on, you know, changing things up in the midfield, which I guess is a positive in a way because we saw uh, Dylan Moore have arguably his best game for the club is um, going into the midfield. So be interesting to see what happens at the MCG this week against West Coast. Hopefully we see a similar setup to what we did on Sunday because I'm pretty sure this is the first time we're going to go in with only the one change. Uh, Will Day is going to come in to the side in a long time. You know, for the last, I don't even know how long, we've been seeing, you know, three to five plus changes a week. So, yeah. It's all looking pretty good, and hopefully we get back-to-back wins for the first time since rounds one and two this year. 
We see you get the fan experience. You were sitting behind the, uh, what you've been saying to us, you were sitting behind the interchange bench or very close by. So two questions. What was, uh, was it a Hawthorne atmosphere at the home away from the home away from home being Marvel Stadium? And what, a couple of observations of sitting close to Hawthorne interchange bench. What did you see? Yeah, it was. I think, um, you know, to get nearly 19,000 fans to a Marvel afternoon game against an interstate team in itself was pretty decent. And I think you could you could certainly sense it with the way we were playing. Everyone was up and about around the crowd, which was good. Um, before the interchange side of things, a couple of other aspects to the fan experience. Um, Pridgey, who's in this space, uh, one of our uh, one of our followers and members of, of uh, the insiders, um, managed to actually meet him before the game, and that was a really great experience to to say good day to him and meet his family. And uh, again, um, definitely uh, heightened the the notion we've been talking about what we're going to do at some point to have a mass get together for you know all of the all of uh, the brown and gold faithful as part of the HI space and, and part of our platform. So definitely reinforce that. Uh, and also a visit to the sensory room at Marvel once again was magnificent. The staff were absolutely outstanding. Um, but, yeah, the highlight for me to this experience was sitting uh, a few rows behind Sammy Mitchell and the bench um, wasn't, uh, the biggest fan of doing it to begin with because you couldn't see any of the play that well across the other side of the ground, but did it for the kids of the group I was with. Um, and it was really eye-opening because the first thought going through my head is like, why does Sam stay on the bench so often when, again, you can't see that much play over the far side? But watching the way he coached, watching his interaction with Adrian Hickmott on the bench, watching his interaction with the players. It was unbelievable. Um, there was one, one passage early in the first quarter and they had, um, they had computers there and were able to bring up, bring up the replays and he brought a replay up straight away and the four bench players were absolutely glued to what he was showing them on the screen. So it was incredible. Um, when guys were coming off and needing... Was that a TV replay or was it, did he call, was he able to call up a piece of play on his own? It's hard to tell because there are a number of different screens and Hickmont would um, often be passing stuff, but um, it, it wasn't the replays that we were seeing on the screen. So I'm assuming he was able to recall it himself, which was interesting in, in, enough in itself. Um, that they also had like the countdown clocks there to specifically be able to um, give them a good idea on time on an iPad on a stand. So that was interesting too. But, you know, you had some guys coming off the ground just completely gassed and you'd let them go. You'd have other guys come off and he'd be straight to them and, you know, giving them the pat on the back. And um, there were times where he clearly knew when not to speak to someone and uh, times where he'd be a little bit more animated with everyone. Uh, as I said, he was visibly close with Hickmott in terms of their communication. And, yeah, it was just 
you know, it's really interesting getting the vibe that he is in there at, at ground zero with them and he is part of this group, not, you know, the, the boss that everyone has to look up to from a um, from an enforcement point of view that he's there on the level with them, part of the journey together as an equal. And, and it was unbelievable. I want to say something quickly, a very quick digression, but you'll understand. Uh, to, I, I shouldn't even just shouldn't even let this disgraceful human being be part of uh, get a mention. But uh, the dishonourable uh, Tim Smith, who crashes cars into people's houses for a hobby, has gone on an anti AFL rant tonight, saying that AFL's gone woke and soft, and holding up the State of Origin match last night as the uh, new standard bearer for uh, contact sport. In this country, I in like a position when I get reserved seats at Marvel Stadium, I tend to sit very close to the front, pretty close to where you would have been the other day. Do you think football, just watching the players, how watching the game at such a close level and seeing the physical state they're in when they come on off the ground, it is a brutally tough sport, is it not? It totally changes your perspective on everything like I love sitting up higher because I love the strategy and I love being able to see running patterns and look further down the ground and set up and all of that sort of stuff but when you're that close to ground level again seeing them come off the ground absolutely spent given the number of rotations seeing the work that's done on them seeing the amount of um, attention to detail that, that the coaches are giving them but also, like, seeing their size, like you were talking about Blank, J- James Blank before, and, I mean, I love him already, but you see him come off and you see him next to DGB on the bench and you understand that DGB's got a lot to do from a physical development point of view and that everyone develops differently. But Blank is a big boy. Like, for a 21-year-old, he's a big boy. So... You understand when you see his body frame and, and size up close, why he's not scared to throw himself into the contests against the bigger forwards as he has already. So, I, I totally agree. It's a different perspective. You don't get it on TV. You don't get it sitting higher up. Um, and yeah, similarly, like seeing them run off the ground, even early on at the start of quarters, like absolutely gassed. You, you just realise how much work they're putting in. It's it's a totally different experience. All right, let's get the votes from everybody. Um, Daz, start with you. Yeah, so I'm going to give three votes to Mitch Lewis. I just thought, you know, even though he had a pretty quiet second half, he still worked really hard and was probably – um, our most, uh, he really just set up the win for us. Um, two votes going to go to Dylan Moore. Um, and I'm going to give Connor Nash a vote. Excellent. Mara? Simon? Excuse me, I was talking to mute. Um, I'm the same Lewis and Moore in the first two. Um, I gave Sicily one vote. But, man, I really like that Nash nomination. Uh uh, Brad? Uh, three to Lewis, two votes uh, to Dylan Moore, and I've gone one to Blake Hardwick, who I think is the forgotten man this season. I think he deserves to. So he won't, but I think he deserves to be in at least the 40-man 
uh, All-Australian squad, 32 possessions, which I think was a career high. And again, I'm pretty sure I saw stature in the week in his 16 games played this year. He's conceded 12 goals, which is unbelievable. So, yeah, one vote to Blake Hardwick, Mr. Consistent. He's having a fantastic season. But small defenders like Wingman, they just don't often find a place in the All-Australian team. And Weezy. My controversy is I'm not going to give any votes to Mitch Lewis because I'm going three to Dylan Moore. Um, and and it was a brilliant decision to put him in the midfield. So we, we might have solved the midfield problem right there. He was incredible. Two to Hardwick. He was absolutely outstanding. And I'm giving one to, believe it or not, Out of I never thought these words would come out of my mouth, but one vote to Finn McGuinness. He was absolutely exceptional uh, and, and did his role beautifully. All right, moving on to Box Hill. Disappointing day. Three straight losses for them. They lost to the Mitres, the Southport Sharks out at uh, Box Hill City. Over Billy Gowers, son of, should have been Hawthorne president, Andrew Gowers played for Southport. Uh, Box Hill, 8 11, 59, lost to Southport, 10 14, 74. Uh, Goals to Callow, Green, Gray, Long, Lynch, Porter, Sarong, and Thorpe. Dan Howe, 26 touches. Tom Phillips, 24, leading the Hawthorne uh, crew in that game. Their season is spiralling out of control. I haven't seen the ladder, but uh, three straight losses in a competition with 116 teams or whatever it is, uh, is not a great thing. They're now going to be a bit hard by... Hawthorne death issues, which we'll get to next. The injury list at Hawthorne continues to grow by the week. Um, the news for, was it, um, good news, Connor Downey available, so he will play for Box Hill this week. Sam Butler's shin a week. Chad Wingard hamstring TBC. Well, the news dropped today in the Sam Mitchell press conference that he is now out for the season. Ned Long concussion won't play this week. Also, it was announced uh, that Sam Frost no real surprise there. Won't be coming back this season. So he joins James, Warple, Lockie Bramble, Tyler Brockman, Mitchell, and, of course, now Wingard. As the Hawthorne players, we will not see again in 2022. Sort of a bit of discussion amongst us today that Hawthorne's efforts, uh, they've been fairly, I don't know, I haven't seen the stats, how it compares to other clubs, but the Hawks have been, um, Brad, fairly knocked around by injuries this year. Absolutely. I think it's been, uh, yeah, quite amazing how it hasn't really been spoken about, but the amount of guys we've had miss games and important players, I know our message of the group uh, today, there's been consistently each week, you know, three to five guys, arguably from our best 22, miss every week. And when you're a young and developing side, it really hurts because there's guys who we need to be playing week in, uh, week out uh, who just haven't been able to get on uh, the park. Uh, Joshy Ward was the one with that concussion. Max uh, Lynch, exactly the same. Connor Downey, who we saw last year, you know, missed a lot of footy. He's unfortunately missed a lot of footy again. Seamus uh, Mitchell uh, was another one who we all wanted to see play senior footy uh, this year. Uh, Tyler Brockman as well, burst onto the scene uh, last season. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see Tyler play another game for Hawthorne. I think he's headed back to WA, as I mentioned many weeks ago. But I think the majority of us uh, have come to the realisation that that's going to happen. Uh, it's been disappointing. And it's uh, by no fault of uh, the players, it's been a lot of unlucky uh, injuries. Chad's uh, the other one. 
you know, again, out for the year, really disappointing. I think I saw today he's played since he came to the club out of uh, 83 games. I think it's about 56 or 57 games he's played. He's missed, on average, about seven games per year. And he did manage to play every game in the COVID year, 17 out of 17. So the other three seasons he's had with us, very disappointing. So, again, yeah, it's been really, really uh, disappointing uh, for the club because a lot of the younger guys have missed out on a lot of footy. And these need to be their development uh, years. As we've spoken about, we need these guys to all play 40 to 50 games uh, together because they're the future of the club. They, we'll discuss Wingard. We'll have plenty of time uh, as we head towards the trade future to discuss Win, Wingard. But uh, Dermot Brereton on SEN this evening did sort of mount a reasonable case that uh, the Hawks should, uh, if, if the right offer came for Wingard, they probably should look at offloading him. So, But we'll park that. We've all got strong views on the Chad because we love him when he's up and about. But, uh, yeah, the... the uh, you just can't say out there. So, but I think it's all right. Well, I think I wrote that on uh, on the Substack uh, not too long ago that he shouldn't play again this year, and uh, it's actually for a senior player he should be coming back. He, he he should now spend three months getting himself right and coming back and doing as much of a preseason as he can before he is in inevitable February late, just before the first practice match, uh, soft tissue injury. But I think it's the right call that we don't see him again till next season. Let's get to, we talked about being a bit of a bittersweet period for the Hawks. Um, a couple of, uh, since we did our last spaces, at, uh, Paul Deere did pass away from pancreatic cancer. Um, his battle has been well documented. Will be the subject of a documentary pretty soon, uh, produced by the great Peter Dixon. Um, a lot's been said, a lot's been written in the last few days. Um, the video Hawthorne put out of him talking to the players and the coaching staff recently was uh, was just a snippet of the entire speech. It was certainly very emotional, very moving. And his family appeared on AFL 360 last night and were just wonderful, incredibly brave in less than a week after he's passed away from to sort of go on national TV as a family and talk and uh Sheree Deer, and I've got a bit of personal experience here that uh, work she's been doing with other um, sufferers of pancreatic cancer, a good friend of mine is going through it at the moment, and, uh, and reached out to Sheree, and Sheree's been in constant touch with my friend and his family recently. It's quite incredible. So they are remarkable people. I'm just going to throw it open briefly. Well, I don't want to dwell too long because we've got plenty of other more upbeat things to get through, but... Uh, Throw to the group. What have you sort of made of the Paul D? He's passing. How, what, how are you feeling about it all? How are you feeling about what the club's doing on Sunday with the big, uh, which is planned before his death, obviously, the big um, sort of fundraising event on Sunday? It's absolutely. Oh, Go, Daz. Well, I was going to say, yeah, just if, if everyone, if anyone has not seen it yet, you've got to watch the video that the Hawks media team, social media team put out this week. Um, where he just talks about um, his his battle and how he was just not dwelling on the future and really just trying to live in the moment. It's one of the most moving um, talks I've seen in a long time and um, what a privilege for the players to be able to, to hear that. So um, if you haven't seen it already, you've got to watch it. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, same as Daz, unbelievable and it's amazing what the club's doing on Sunday. Obviously, Paul won uh, the Norm Smith against uh, West Coast, and that's one of my earliest uh, memories of uh, footy. I came to Australia in uh, '89, and was lucky enough 
you know, to be forced to go for Hawthorne, which I've spoken about previously. But I've watched that grand final many times and Paul's performance in that game was unbelievable. And I have to echo yeah, uh, Ash's comments. Uh, Cherie, the way she spoke last night, just the bravery and, you know, just unbelievable. So it's really, really sad. But as Daz also said, watch the video that the club put on uh, the website because you'll probably uh, shed a tear, but it's words that everyone must hear, must watch and listen. Not just that video either. The the promo for the Pete Dixon doco is just, well, it just gives you goosebumps and it's so emotional and uh agree with everything everyone said, listening listening to Cherie and the family talk about their journey since Christmas and, um, you know, the whole every day is a blessing and every day is a gift and you never know what's around the corner. And even, you know, Paul saying one of, one of his blessings was the fact that, um, you know, comparing himself to Shane Warne, that he actually had the opportunity to get some closure and, and to know before time that he could say what he needed to say to people and that every extra day was a gift and, yeah, just really, really sad and very, very inspirational, a lot of them. So daretohope.com.au if you want to uh, support the uh, the. Uh... The poor dear pancreatic cancer fund. There'll be fundraisers at the footy on Sunday, obviously, probably rattling the tins or some sort of ability to donate if you can't get to the game. We urge everybody to get behind that. Um, and it will be an emotional, I imagine they'll do their their, uh, their events pre game. I'm sure it's going to be a very emotional afternoon. So get to the footy bit at a 110 start, but try, try and get there a bit early if you can to be part of all that. It's going to be a big day for the Hawthorne family. Also passing away was Willie Rioli. That is Willie Rioli Sr., the father of West Coast Premiership player Willie Rioli. Um, I'm probably the only one here old enough to remember him playing some reserves games for Hawthorne. So I played a practice match at Glen Ferry Oval once, intra-club game before the 90 or 91 season. I thought uh, he's got those Rioli traits. Already Morris had played in the, the AFL or VFL as it was for several years already. Problem for Willie, I think he was a little bit too small, but probably a couple of centimetres too short to really make it in league footy at the time. He had some tricks, but probably not quite enough. I'm always fascinated. Um, we've talked about this, about Hawthorne at the time. Hawthorne, not the most... Uh, even though he seemed to be popular with the players, but Hawthorne itself probably wasn't the most culturally aware football club. Not that a lot of clubs were, but Hawthorne certainly weren't around that time. So I always wondered what a sort of environment it was for Willie Rioli. But he was on the list for two or three years, didn't quite make it. But again, a bit of sad news, um, Darren, about about his passing um, as well. Yeah. and I, I, Am I remembering this correctly, but did Tony Wilson maybe play with him when he was playing for the reserves? Tony Didn't Wilson would have played. Yeah, Tony Wilson. He was around Tony Wilson's era, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I recall Tony talking to us about how um, freakishly skilled he was and um, how he probably got him probably misrepresenting what Tony said, but I definitely remember Tony talking about Willie standing out on the track. So, yeah, pretty, very, very sad week, obviously, um, for the club and 
um, sending thoughts to to the Rioli family. It's just been one of the most incredible football families that we've had in this great game. Yes, that's right. And of course, Cyril Rioli, his family as well. It's a sad time for everybody. The whole Rioli family, who are just so, a family who are just so, uh, so so beloved in the top end, have made such a fantastic contribution to footy. Okay, we'll try and brighten things up a little bit here. Um, get to our talking point. Don't forget, if you've got anything you want to raise, uh, you want to t- join our discussion about anything, please uh, request to speak. We'd love to get you on over the next 30, 35 minutes or so. Um, I want to start my first talking point tonight was going to be Will McCabe. Uh, we all got very excited by the thought of uh, when it emerged that uh, the MVP for South Australia in the just completed under-16 championships was Will McCabe, 195-centimetre um, but played on a wing. The son of Luke McCabe, who played 138 games for the Hawks. And uh, even better news was he actually played as a top-end player, a top-age player in that 16, which means he'll be eligible for the 2024 draft. So suddenly everyone's very excited, up and about, by the prospects of getting him to Hawthorne. Uh, that is Danny's homework for next week. So he will come back with a bit of a report about Will McCabe. And we, uh, Danny, if you're listening, we hope you are feeling a bit better and look forward to having you back with us next week. Uh, I've just inserted boys onto the uh, running sheet since I sent it off earlier today. The soft cap, Brad, is going up by $500,000 next season, which gives, and also it means that, uh, and also capacity for clubs who've got. Um, female staffers in sort of high-performance football roles to move them outside the cap. I know Hawthorne have got at least one or two in that capacity. So that's going to give Hawthorne, all clubs really, the chance to bring in three or four probably more people. If you're going to pay them around $100,000 or so, then the on-costs, they can get them to the football club next season. So I'm fascinated to see what Sam Mitchell uh, has up his sleeve. He certainly wants to flesh out his staff. So the question I want to put to you, Brad, you're the man with the ear to the ground. Reports of um, Sam Mitchell and Jared Ruffett having coffee in Hawthorne a couple of times of late. Is there scope and is there a role for Jared Ruffett, who signed a three-year deal with St Kilda, and he's now finishing that up at the end of this season. Is there a role for Jared Ruffett at Hawthorne next year? Absolutely. We've seen what he's done at St Kilda. I know on field they're still quite, yeah, uh, up and down, but you see him on uh, the bench and the way he deals with uh, the players and the way he speaks to them. And you often hear the St Kilda players talk about how good he has been for them. Being such a young club and only someone who's been out of the game for a few years, I reckon the timing would be perfect. He's had his time uh, away from us. He obviously you know, finished his uh, career as a one-club bar player. But like a lot of players do, they go they go get experience uh, somewhere else, as we obviously saw with Sam uh, going to West Coast and a few others. But I reckon he'd be perfect, especially for such a young side. And I reckon the younger guys and the senior guys would just have so much uh, respect uh, for Ruffy. So if those rumours are true, they might have just been having coffee as friends. But I'd look at Sam and I look at uh, Ruffy, and I think they're very different people. So it'd be interesting. I think it'd be interesting, or you know, the fact that they were having coffee as just friends. So I think there is more to it, and absolutely, we can get uh, Ruffy back to our club. Perfect timing. He's, he's in. Go on. No, go on. His interest is um, 
his interest is list management, but he's also uh, has a bench role with St Kilda. So what I know Hawthorne don't have moment is like a almost like a forward scout, and they've really I know they brought um, uh, the guy Finnegan from North Melbourne across, but it's more of a straight recruiting role. But they they're one or two short in list management, and they probably could do one or two more people in a sort of development role. It probably it comes down to roughly whether he thinks his work is done with Max King because really the chief reason they got him to St Kilda was to work with Max King. But I think Max King's now enough of a finished product. What well, does Ruffy think King's enough of a finished product to come to Hawthorne? Of course, David Hale is a forward coach at Hawthorne and uh, he moved from Perth to come back to Hawthorne. So not about to ditch. And he's also good friends with uh, Sam. So they're not about to ditch David Hale, but I'd love to see, think there'd be a role there for him. Um, Ash, can, can I just... Um, add what I find interesting is if the soft cap's increasing by half a million dollars one thing I mean there's been so much talk about Clarko and where he's going to coach next season one thing I've been holding on to that no one else seems to remember or be talking about is his $900,000 payout was split over two seasons right with the um, with the uh, there was a the blessing of the AFL, yeah. But there was also a, a thing attached to it where um, if he got another job within the AFL in that time frame, we didn't have to pay it out, right? Mm-hmm. So that would free up another four hundred and fifty thousand dollars next year. So if the cap's going up by another half a mil, actually, all of a sudden, Sammy's got another million dollars to play with, and feels like he's already well-supported. He's going to be able to bring in whoever he wants in whatever role to increase what we're doing in that that area of the club, which is phenomenal. A person they should go after, because I've had a little bit to do with him, is uh, Jaron Geary, who retired from Skilda today. And if Ruffy doesn't come, or even if he does, but as I said, there's enough room now to bring a few people into the club, Jaron Geary would be fantastic at Hawthorne. He's a really, he's a super guy, huge understanding of the game, been through a lot he would be a great acquisition to Hawthorne in some sort of development role as well. So I think what Sam Mitchell has done, we talk about Hawthorne being a destination club. Once again, perhaps they're a year or two away from sort of being the player destination club, but I think Mitchell's done enough in his first year, don't you think, Mario, to make Hawthorne a destination club, even for coaches and those who want to sort of uh, start out in that side of the game? Yeah, I think people have noticed. Um, they've, they've looked beyond the win-loss record that we have that there's definitely something there and the players where, you know, we're not getting the results, but there's definitely an energy um, about the way Hawthorne play. And that definitely comes from the top down and the, the, the change and the rejuvenation at the club, which is filtering onto the field is definitely noticed. And people, you know, it's easy to say, Oh, up until last week we were in the bottom four, but people know that and people know that we're developing, but it's, the manner that we're playing, I mean, we're, we're, we've been playing better than, what are we, like 5 and 10 now or something? We're, we're a very good 5 and 10 team. Um, and that comes from the people who are directing the players. Yeah, I think they've created an environment that people would like to be part of. It'll be fascinating to see how, I mean, all clubs now with $500,000 to spend, there'll be some very good people coming back in the industry as well. A lot of really good people left the industry um, because of the COVID cuts and now's a chance for uh, good people, probably different people in a lot of cases, to, to get back in. So that's the sort of stuff that fills papers in October, sort of after the trade period finishes. 
through till December when training starts again. But it'll be fascinating to see the sort of appointments that clubs make over the next little while. And it's certainly a piece of announcement to be made quite soon. I, said, I remember Brad Ratton was joining St Kilda two or three weeks before Hawthorne finished in 2018. It was announced that he would leave straight away after Hawthorne's last game. So clubs will be making announcements about new staff members quite soon. You would think there'll be a bit of a bidding war for the best people as well. So there'll be no mucking around. Okay, time for a bit of fun here. And again, this is something we'd really like if you've got something you want to add to our conversation, please join in. Uh, Lance Franklin, uh, key forward for the Sydney Swans, who used to play for Hawthorne, um, reportedly has been lowballed by the Swans. Now, uh, $500,000 is what they're allegedly offering. He thinks he's probably worth somewhere closer to seven to 800000 and probably the Swans only want to offer him one more year where Buddy would like to possibly hang out and get a two-year deal. Um, I'm throwing it open for discussion. Anyone want to pick it up? Is there any argument to be mounted by Haw- for Hawthorne trying to bring him back into the club? I think, uh, is it not clear, clear to, to see that uh, Robbo here is the biggest pawn in this game? And clearly, whether it's the Swans, whether it's um, Buddy's management, uh, it's not the it Swans. Is. It's not that. I, I can know from dealing with the Swans for a long time. This is not. This has not got a, a whiff of suggestion. That the Swans put him up to this. This is coming out of the well, camp. Right. Well, even if it's coming out of the Franklin camp, no doubt that both parties will have an aim to get it resolved. You, you can't see it not happening. Um, in terms of the actual question, though, it's kind of like Ronaldo uh, in the Premier League at the moment, where you know what? Do you bite the bullet? Uh, look to take him on for a year. You'll make enough in membership. You'll make it make enough in selling the number twenty three jumper. Should uh, should you have someone willing to relinquish it? Round one, you have seventy five to eighty thousand people just to watch him. There'd be a very romantic notion with him coming back, um, but where does he sit in terms of? Development, and there'd be a few teams interested in him. And whilst yesterday it was probably, um, you know, there are a few butterflies just at the thought of him coming back, I think the reality is he's probably not a great fit for us. And I I just can't see how a deal's not going to get done for him to finish at Sydney. Yeah, I think he'll he'll finish up at Sydney and there's there's really no no room for Hawthorne. You're not going to pay him. $500,000 $500,000 or whatever it is to come and uh, hold back Kaczynski and uh, and Lewis and others for the year. So it's uh, it's not going to happen. But uh, gee, imagine if you went to a club like Collingwood, which is probably one of the two or three clubs are considering. But don't you think, uh, Brad? Absolutely. I don't understand why Collingwood are looking to pay Daniel McStay, what is it, five years, $600,000 per year, where they might as you know, they can get a buddy for two years on similar coin. And you know Buddy's going to kick you, you know, 40 to 50 goals. So I agree. Uh, Yesterday I got all excited. I thought, you know, bring him back. But with where our list is at the moment, he's just not the right fit. I think he would probably play for us. I think on field, you know, you'd probably have Buddy over a Cozzy. But Cozzy's only 21 and he needs to keep on playing. So uh, romantic, yes. Membership, yes. Dollars, yes. But unfortunately, I can't see it happening. And I agree with uh, Ash. I know the way these footy clubs, you know, work, but also the managers of the players. 
And as uh, yeah, Ash said, this is purely a Franklin camp situation. And if he was going to come to Melbourne, I agree with Ash. Collingwood would have the money. They're looking for a forward. Uh, very, um, Brad, very Dermot Brereton areas there. Number 23, Hawthorne to Sydney to Collingwood. Yeah. Be interesting <laughs> to see. But yeah, it's a good pick up there. But yeah, I can't. Obviously, it'd be great for him to finish his career at us, being the legend that he was. But it's just not going to happen. So, imagine yeah. if imagine if you went to Essendon. Pridge, good evening. Got a question for us? I was just going to say. First of all, thanks guys. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, look, bud, love to have him back. But there's, I just, there's absolutely no chance. Like, yeah, he'd be pushing everyone out of the way and set us back two years, I reckon. So. Well, yeah, nice to dream about it, like a Gary Ablett sort of, uh, you know, finish or Eddie Betts sort of finish. But fortunately, uh, not going to happen, I guess. No, we'll always have the memories of the great bud. We'll talk about it a bit later on. But something else happening at the club, so uh, we, uh, we 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 we'll always love him. Um, Daz, thought of you with this talking point. North Melbourne Football Club, especially subject of yours, complete and utter debacle that they've got in, but I did think to myself, there for the grace of God go us. What decisions have North got wrong that Hawthorne have got right over the last little while? So that Hawthorne is, even though it's only only won five games for the year and could well be beaten by North in some sort of ambush Saturday week down Hobart, but why are Hawthorne a million miles removed from North Melbourne? Sam Mitchell. Um, So many, where do I... It's just oh, by the way, to, it's just such friends, a huge a, list of friends of the Hawk Talk podcast listening, and North is also their special subject. So, guys, please, you've got an open invitation to come on and join this part of the conversation because your views when it comes to North Melbourne are gold. So, just put put your hands up if you want to join us. We'd love to hear from you. Go on, Des. I just, I mean, just so many strange recruiting decisions as well. The Jared Pollock thing just absolutely breaks my brain. Uh, trading out some senior players and then w- talking about wanting to get senior leadership back in, um, just putting a lot of time and energy into players who are clearly never going to make it. I think they've actually got some really strong young talent on the list too. And I was, I'm was i surprised how much it's imploded because round one I actually thought we were sort of neck and neck with them and we could have lost that game. So... You know, last year they absolutely belted us in the middle. I think Cunnington is such an important player to them and it actually speaks of how poor their list is going that they, they've never really been able to cope with, with him being out of the side. So it's just there's just so much wrong and all the shin bone up strategy stuff is just perplexing as well. Why would you in, in this moment where you're struggling for relevancy, struggling to find yourself and your culture, turn away from the one thing that's defined your football club for, you know, decades. I just think they've made a lot of really bad on-field and off-field decisions. Do you want me to stop? (laughs) (laughs) No. no, I mean, do you think it's just Sam Mitchell that Hawthorne's done right? And Hawthorne's always had more money in the bank than uh, North Melbourne, which I think is important as well. Um, So, oh, here we go. Uh, I think the uh, Hawk Talk boys are going to join us briefly. This really has to be a uh, has to be a, a I can't wait for this. <laughs> Nick, Nick. Yeah, good day, guys. How's the line? Is it okay? Perfect, mate. The floor is yours. Yeah, bit of an overshare. I'm actually chatting to you guys from the bath. Um, 
Not in my simulate <laughs> had Jordan Dawson <laughs> fell on the weekend. But it's true. I'm actually currently in the bath. So we'll keep it brief. Um, I do have to get out very shortly. Um, I mean, the thing about North Melbourne that's most enjoyable about this, com- comparatively to Hawthorne, I think at, at the moment Hawthorne, you'd say maybe uh, two or three years maybe of properly contending. We have our issues. We've got stuff to work out. We all know this. It's discussed regularly on our podcast. It's discussed between you guys. Um with North Melbourne, there is no timeline. They're up the creek. There is no paddle. And frankly, I'm loving it. <laughs> Where have they gone? <laughs> well, that's over and out. Uh, no, you did not disappoint <laughs> Nick. That was Thanks, Nick, here the Hawk Talk Podcast. Of course, they're on every – you get to catch their, their excellent podcast every week, uh, delving the Hawks as well. Magnificent cameo. Well done. And thank you, Nick. Um, Ash, can I yes. – um ask you a question because um, fearing the fact that um, I might alienate myself from every single person listening and and then some, um, it's not that long ago that off the field, um, thanks to a former uh, CEO uh, and uh, the president, uh, some of the issues that we had when, you know, Tracy was around and we called on one person to come back and help us out and and Jeffrey did that and notwithstanding that I don't um, necessarily believe that his time hasn't come or possibly even long past, but he was pretty important in making sure off-field um, we weren't continuing down the path of becoming North Melbourne. Is, it, is that fair to say, given what we're talking about? No, I think you're not. Well... Only that Hawthorne's even Hawthorne had partly due to just decisions he made his first time around. Hawthorne's always had the money in the bank, which is a huge thing to you know they've got ten, twenty, thirty million dollars put away, even not accounting for Dingley. So it's really important to make that distinction. But yes, Jeff in his second time round, uh, the first he did stabilise the job. I don't think there's any danger of Hawthorne turning into. North Melbourne uh, and making some of the bad decision decision after decision. Um, and Hawthorne's made some decisions. You know, so we talked about the list decisions Hawthorne have made. Well, Hawthorne's made some questionable list decisions, and uh, you know, Wingard and O'Meara have been probably top of the list. Um, but they've got away with it a little bit because by some sort of fluke, the three players they had to had for their first picks as low as they were being Morrison. Warple and Lewis can all play. I mean, so they've sort of had a bit of a soft, a soft landing with some of those decisions. But uh, certainly, Ken, his first 12 to 24 months after coming back, uh, made some important decisions that helped stabilise the club as well. But uh, I, mean, I mean, where do you start with North Melbourne? I mean, the poor choices of coach, over influence of people like Glenn Archer um, in terms of decision making, putting in people. Reese Shaw, Brady Rawlings, and poor old even Daniel McPherson now as heads of football uh, and coach who are in over their heads. Um, losing three recruiters a week before the uh, mid-season draft. All sorts of uh, issues there. Certain individuals at North are too heavily involved. Now Mark Dawson, who was the power broker in Dennis Pagan's days, is making noises about getting involved again. So they really are all over the shop. We don't really need to talk about them. Much longer, we'll leave that for, for North Insiders 
have their fun. But I did sort of look at what's going on at, uh, at North Melbourne, thinking you know, Hawthorne, to its absolute credit, went had a couple of issues over the last little while, end of 2017 being one, and even last season with the coaching handover as poorly executed as that was, has always been executed, extricated its way out of it. And as you said, Daz, Sam Mitchell's been you know, a brilliant decision as coach. Everyone's falling in behind him very quickly. On the field as well, I think I think this is going to be the 16th year in a row that we've finished higher than them on the ladder. So um, there's always that. <laughs> That's your favourite stat. That sure is your favourite stat. All right, I want to move on now before we finish up. So the other event that's taking place on Sunday is the um, halftime farewell lap that's taking place for Hawthorne Heroes. Premiership Heroes are going to sort of be formally farewelled by the club. So we've got Jordan Lewis, uh, Paul Piopolo, Ben Stratton and Grant Birchall. Now, the signed some homework for everybody to sort of come up with the one or two things they both remembered about favourites for these players. And please, would love you to join in if you've got a memory of these players as well. Put a, a request to speak, either a memory or just why you love them playing for Hawthorne. Um, Daz, I had you down for Jordan Lewis. But I can, you, I can you do wanted, you, you wanted to do someone else. So who did you want to talk about? Well, I can do, I can do Jordy. I, you know, he, he, was, he was the sort of player that he didn't have the highlight reels of some of the players that you mentioned before, but um, just such, he just complimented that midfield, that premiership, triple premiership winning midfield unit so perfectly um, and just was courage personified. I think being there at the ground when he got absolutely poleaxed in the game against the Bulldogs and then came back on the ground, I mean, uh, that would not happen today, but the fact that he got back on the ground is just unbelievable really I thought he was going to be in hospital that night so um, I think his 250th game stands out to me I think he I looked up the stats and they were ridiculous 42 disposals 18 contested possessions six inside 50s nine clearances and two goal assists I mean you can't really get a more complete midfield game than that and um, he he didn't often play the role of the number one midfielder for us but um when he got that opportunity, he certainly took it. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see him wel- welcome back into the fold of the club. And I think this is probably the first step um, since Clarko's left, which is really exciting. Um, and then, obviously, Strats, for me, absolutely love the guy. Didn't think he was the greatest captain we ever had, but um, my favourite ever Strats game, funnily enough, was around 20, 2018 against Essendon where we just got over the line and he was an absolute rock and, and immense in defence that day. I just remember him taking a, a really important contested mark in the dying moments and I, I, was, I think I was on level one and I heard just how hard he went at that footy and came away with the mark and we won the game very narrowly in the end. So... He was in full mulleted glory back then, and that was my favourite Strats moment, I'd say. Oh, and obviously the hurdle, um, the buddy hurdle being being part of that very memorable goal. Yeah, he. Uh, I, I think it was a questionable choice as captain, but that was probably, in a way, the only blemish really on his career that he wasn't the best captain we've had, but he was a super reliable defender for such a long time. He looked like he belonged. He had those sort of long arms and... Able to take a contested mark in defence 
very early on. We've had a couple of players who have been unheralded and who've come into the side, but almost for that first time. And I mean, James Blank is showing some Stratton-esque, and that might be the high praise you give James Blank, that he's sort of showing Stratton-esque signs of belonging at the level straight away. Yeah, I, I really back that. And I think he's the kind of player he's got good closing speed. He can probably play on small small uh, forwards as well, which is one of Strats's um, real, really uh, amazing attributes is that he could play on small and he could play on tall. Always, I don't think Eddie Betts ever had a good game against him. Oh, Eddie Betts hated him. <laughs> Absolutely hated him. And I mean, to keep Eddie Betts quiet uh, as a as a sort of medium defender um, that can also play on 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 big monster forwards. I just that just says how good a defender he was. So, yeah, and he's twenty thirteen in the last quarter of the twenty thirteen preliminary final. Took a couple of really important intercept marks again when things were just. Crazy in that last quarter of the uh, preliminary final. Lindy takes a great marks. Forgot about that. Huge. Yeah, that um, you know when you watch that replay over and over and over again, those the couple of marks that he took just absolutely stand out. They were monsters. Yeah, and Jordan Lewis, I want to say about him. He's um, twenty fourteen season. Two things he had to his game. Adam Sim. His game really developed under Adam Simpson when Adam Simpson was at the club as a midfield coach and he became the third man up specialist. And that's when he sort of took his game to another level as a midfielder because he didn't have, if he wasn't overly quick, Lewis, he wasn't overly skillful, but he was just good at it. He was just good at being what was required to be an AFL midfielder. But in 2014, I made this point today on WhatsApp, when everyone else, that was the year that everything fell apart at Hawthorne. It's the year that um, Mitchell missed. Eight or nine games with a hamstring. Cyril missed nearly half the season. They just uh, Lake missed several games. Um, things were falling around. You know, Clarko had missed five games because he was crook as well. It just from week to week, the team wasn't anywhere near full strength. But Lewis was the, the constant. Uh, he might have missed and- one game. He might have missed the Giants game that they nearly lost. But apart from that, he was their constant. He just played really well, and he was the on-field leader as well. And his 2014 grand final, like when you look at our midfield unit through those golden years, through the grand finals, there wasn't a midfielder that totally dominated. His 2014 grand final, I think he must have had 35 or 36 touches and uh, was like he just absolutely had the ball on the string, on the string and had an absolute day out. Best and fairest and Premiership here, which is a major honour to have at a footy club. G'day, Rob. Actually, funny. Oh, go on. Sorry, Rob. Go. Hi. G'day, Rob. Hi. No, just came back from inside the huddle. It's always a, oh, yes. it's always a great evening. Uh, Sam Mitchell. Give us a report. Um, well, he was fantastic and spoke really well. Uh, he certainly knocked back uh, the idea of getting Lance Franklin back. Took him about two seconds to come to that answer. Um and he talked about how they sort of changed their plan about round 11 in trying to keep the ball in the forward line a bit more, which was interesting. Um, and uh, talked about stats of us being in the top four of getting from defence 50 to forward 50 and scoring in the forward line. We're top four, but um, I think we're 16th in getting the ball um, into the forward line. 
but when we're there, we, we, we're certainly successful. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, it talked about the development of the club and the younger players and what they're doing. Um, they had the uh, AFL women's there for the four players and the, and the coach. So they were terrific to talk to. They were inspirational. Um, yeah, it was good. They had a few players there, CJ and uh, Moore and Mitchell, Mitchell Lewis. Yeah, it was a, it was a great night. It's always a great night. How are the canapes? Everyone always talks about the canapes. The canapes. Uh, I came Hawkins late, Hawks. so I only got the afters in the canapes. <laughs> oh, right. A bit disappointing, but uh, <laughs> too much road work going on in Brunton Avenue confused me. Oh, well, uh, thanks for the report, Rob, and good to have you with us tonight. Okay. <laughs> Let's continue on to uh, Mara, I assigned you Poppy. Yeah. A um, couple of things stood out for me when I was thinking about Poppy. First is his ability to take a mark. For a bloke who's maybe maybe like three or four centimetres taller than me, um, he was an unbelievable leap. And, and watching some highlights on YouTube, it's amazing how many of them probably should have been pushing the back. Because he just climbed on yeah. people, just shoved them in the back. But the umpires have a good sense of theatre and they always pay it, which is great. Um, but there's two real moments that stood out for me. Um, the first was in the 2014 grand final, which we obviously won by 10 goals. And by before time on in the second quarter, you know, we could feel the cup in our hands. But in the first 10 minutes of that game, we actually didn't kick a goal. The only goal kicked at that point was um, the Swans. And we'd missed a couple that were pretty gettable from memory. And we just really needed a steadier. And he was the one that delivered it, um, kicked our first goal that day. And that really set us going. And from there, like I said, within about half an hour, we bloody won the game. So um, always thankful to Poppy for that one. And the other goal that sticks out for me is that game against Adelaide. It was an early season game where we had to come back from a little bit. And I remember he kicked a goal that put us in front in the last minute. It was his fifth for the game, which was um, just critical match-winning goal. And the one thing I didn't remember looking back You weren't there, though. It was first night Passover. You weren't there. Um, You know what? Oh, I don't say you were there. I don't reckon I was there. But I have memory of watching it. So maybe I was at work. That can't possibly be right. Well, there you go. Surely, surely I was at the Seder. But I have memory <laughs> of it. Maybe I was watching it at home. But um, the the uh, what I didn't remember was that we actually we needed three goals and yeah. After time on to cat uh, to win that game, and he kicked two of them. Um, so I remember the last one. The the um the match winner is the one that sparked the hashtag free kick Hawthorne um meme because he got you know he got landed on. Um, it was by... a week, yeah. It was a week after they got the soft ones against St Kilda, which started, and then the next week, I think you're right, Poppy oh, got the really? free kick, and that just took the free kick Hawthorne over the over the top. Yeah, well, that's what it would have been because, um, I don't know, the guy landed in his back. I thought it was a free kick watching it again, but you can never really talk to people about this. But the um, so those those are my main memories of Poppy, and I, I can't believe we've, we've spoken this long about Strats without mentioning his goal. In, last, in his last game, the trial. His last game, that was awesome. I remember he took the mark and then he goes back and he started doing a routine and the commentators were laughing at him like, as if you've got a routine, mate, come on. It was a three-meter kick from Gunson as well. The umpires were being extremely, uh, <laughs> extremely terrible in stretching the rules. Um, how do you think? And it was great. Oh, how, sorry. How would he have gone, Poppy, with a 
the, the head high tackle and the, and, the, and the ducking head these days? It's a good question. Well, I mean, I think he, he was pretty good at drawing the odd high tackle free kick even um, a couple of years ago. You, you reckon they might not pay him as much now? Not sure. Not sure. He was very good at drawing maybe the ask, free kick. Ask Sammy Mitchell that question at the next press conference. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm doing it. Uh, Brad, tell us about Grant Birchall. Oh, Grant Birchall, uh, consistency. I couldn't really pinpoint one game or a memory, but 248 games, four premierships from day one when he got drafted, I think it was 2006, he was just a consistently good player, better than good player. He was just, every game went out, did his job, could play defensively, uh, offensively, beautiful left foot. Uh, his career, I guess, could more or less be summed up. His performance against, I think it was Frio in the 2013 Grand Final, 26 touches, 11 or 12 uh, marks. He just, I can't think of a time where he didn't have a good game. I just, you know, often, you know, you'd have players, uh, even the star players would have a quiet game. I reckon Birch was just good every single time he went out and played. So consistency for me, just consistently a star. Just very uh, Jack Scrimshaw-esque kicking style too. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Scrimshaw, yeah. I don't know if Jack's as good as a defensive, you know, good as good a, a defensive player as uh, Birchall was. I think at the start of his career, Birchall was a bit more uh, defensive. But when he added that attacking flair, the runoff halfback, which I guess a lot of our game plan is based on now. But unfortunately, our current guys down back, Scrimshaw's got a really nice kick, but... I reckon Birchall's left foot for us was as good a left foot there was in the league at one stage. Just every year, every game, his work across half-back, I think a lot of our game style and our success for those really strong years were based a lot around Birchall. And I guess he was one of the main reasons why over those years we decided to recruit so many left-footers. I think, Ash, you might know, for that, you know, ten, after Birch was drafted in about 2006 and then after that for at least a decade, I think our recruiters put a really strong focus on drafting really good kicks and left foot kicks. I love the left foot kicks. Uh, do you notice the pin? How many Brownlow votes did he get in his career? Oh, Birch? Oh, I wouldn't have been a lot. How many he played? Ten. How many years did he play? Yeah, I would have said... I would have said Zero. Probably, I would have said about three or four. 22. Well, that's pretty good for someone that's playing. Not too bad. If seven, if Birch, seven twenty eleven was his most. If Birch just can just work a little bit on his uh, overhead marking and intercept marking, he might still become the player that Jack Scrimshaw is today. There's oh, <laughs> a, a bit of recency bias going there. Anyway, it's going to be great on Sunday to see. Uh, these four players get, get hopefully it won't be raining and they'll get the rousing reception from 25,000 or so Hawthorne fans that they so richly deserve. Um, Lewis is going to get the take, have to take the Melbourne jumpers off his kids to and put them into Hawthorne jumpers today, which might be a challenge for him. But uh, <coughs> we look forward to that. Do you think Buddy will get, given Hawthorne term to have closure for all these players and for Lewis, it's been six years? Last question on this before we finish up. Would you be open to Buddy getting a lap of honour, even if it's another three years' time, ten years after he left the club? Wouldn't have thought so. Ten years is a long 
time and given the circumstances and situation, I mean, he played in one flag uh, two. as opposed to... Uh, sorry, two. two, two um, but oh, 10 years is a long time to be playing at another club to then come back and get a lap of honour. Yeah, I would have thought. I can't see him getting one by it himself. Obviously, when he retires and we have, you know, the three-peat have their reunions, he'll definitely do one with, you know, uh, the rest of the guys in the team. But by himself, I can't see it happening. Although, being arguably one of the greatest players in the modern era, and a lot of that stemmed from his time at Hawthorne, it might be something that the club will do. Hawthorne does seem to be a fantastic club with these types of things. and. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'll throw this open to you. If the Franklins are not going to live in Sydney, apparently, when they retire, they're going to live in either Queensland or WA, put Hawthorne back in play for father-son. Because I thought if they were going to live in Sydney the rest of their lives, be, you know, there's no chance for Sydney. But uh, if the Franklins move to another state, then Hawthorne's back in play for father-son one day and, uh, and father-daughter as well because they've got uh, a daughter as well. So... I think Hawthorne should be do whatever they can to honour his, uh, his his time at the Hawks and just do whatever they can to make him feel warm and fuzzy. As, and Mitchell, Sam Mitchell did let on today that because uh, he talked about this before when he was allocating the numbers to the new players, allocating the numbers this year, he was ringing around all the past players who wore those numbers to see what they thought. And Lance Franklin was part of the conversation about who should wear twenty three. So clearly, there is still a bit of a bit of a. a He's still a little bit invested, a little bit, in the footy club. And apparently Mitch fucking um, came back and says, oh, you know, if Tim O'Brien's left, maybe I'll come back and play in the 23. So uh, that's all good as well. Uh, before we finish up, Sunday, 1.10 at the MCG, Hawthorne uh, hosting West Coast, as we talked about before. Sadly, sadly, it is the last Hawthorne home game at the MCG for the year. They play Richmond in an away game in round 22. But even if you play seven or six MCG home games, you'd like to think you'd get at least like one in the last three or four weeks of the season. But that's it. It's the last chance to say goodbye to the people you sit next to at the footy till next season. Hawthorne, as uh, Brad predicted, is uh, selection dissection. Just the one change at this stage. The work experience kid, Andrew, has picked the team once again. Jay Gomir at centre-half forward. Yeah, well... Uh... Blake Hardwick centre-half back. Oh, no issues. Hard we can play tall or short. And you know, I guess when you've got a, a gun midfielder like Dylan Moore, I guess you've got to find another space for Jager, don't you? Connor Nash Rover? Yeah, I think we'll see a fair bit of experimentation. <laughs> we actually will see a fair bit of experimentation over the next four, five, six weeks. But um, yeah, always fun having a look at the team sheet when it comes out. So the you know, extended interchange bench is Morrison, Day, Kaczynski, McGuinness, Shields, Sarong, which would be his debut. Morris and Hartigan. Day will certainly play. Um, it's about who comes out. It will be interesting. There, there could still be some management taking place out of that team as well, three or four days before the game to go still. Let's quickly go around, uh, guys, and just give us your prediction uh, for the game. Uh, a margin and one one thing you'd like to see out of the game. Uh, Mora? Um, I think Hawthorne by about four goals, and I think you are absolutely kidding yourself if you think there's going to be 25,000 people there. I'll bet you lunch there's 25,000 people there. 25. 
Pretty, West Coast guaranteed to draw three or 4,000 every game in Melbourne, so there's a starting point. Uh, uh, look forward to having lunch with you somewhere nice uh, <laughs> in the off-season. Uh, we didn't say somewhere nice. Well, it's always nice. Lunch with you is always nice. Um, Thank you. I appreciate Br- it. Brad? Uh, I think Hawthorne will win easily. West Coast are in uh, tank mode, full tank mode, uh, celebrating our champions. Obviously, uh, poor deal. Dear uh, tribute game, I reckon the players are going to lift. I think we'll win this by six or seven goals. Uh, Nick Nat out is a really good one for us. I think Reeves and uh, McAvoy together will get on top in uh, the ruck. It was great to have uh, Big Boy back, just having two rucks. I might be wrong, but I reckon this year when we played two rucks, we're four and zero. I don't think we've lost. Uh, so, yeah, um, looking forward to the game. I think we'll win easily. I'm with Ash. I reckon there'll be at least 25,000, Simon. And Hawks to win by, I reckon, yeah, seven goals. I reckon we'll win easily. Jesus. Brad, someone's kidnapped you. Um, Daz? <laughs> yeah, I think Hawks are going to to say about three goals as well. And, um, yeah, just would love to see Mitchellus continue on his merry way and, and kick another bag and... More of Dylan Moore in the midfield. Um, excited to see Will Day again, and just really sad that it's the last home game of the season. I think I feel like it's just happened in bursts, really. With with this year, it's been a really weird year. So, um, looking forward to actually watching them live again. Three of the last five games were in Tasmania, which is just odd. Weezy. A combination of all of the above. Agree with Brad. I reckon we'll win by about seven goals. Agree with you. I think we'll get well over 25,000 people given um, given the send-off, given the last home game, given that we managed to get 19K to the Adelaide game and, and that we're a chance to win it again. Uh, and then agree with Daz on Dylan Moore in the midfields, a big watch and... Will Day, seeing how he comes back in and hopefully gets the opportunity to run rampant on the MCG back flanks and wings. Yeah, I think Hawthorne will win by about 25 points or so, one point for every thousand people at the game. Um, that has been our spaces for this week. We thank you all for your uh, for joining us tonight and if you support the Hawk Insiders, $5 a month. $50 for the year. We've got some guests in the next two weeks. I don't want to say who they are in case they let us down, but we've got if next week's guest who has verbally agreed to come on already comes on, we'll be promoting it very heavily. I think it'll be fantastic listening. Uh, this person's got a deep connection for a couple of reasons to the footy club. So uh, and they're happy to come on next week. And we've got a guest lined up who knows a bit about Hawthorne as well. The week after, because we're sick of doing all the talking, so we're going to get some real experts to come and, and join us before the end of the season on Spaces. We'll give you lots of publicity and lots of notice to make sure that you listen uh, to the Spaces when they come on. Was there any housekeeping before we go? Uh, no, just keep enjoying the content. Uh, quite a bit of stuff coming out again over the next week. So thanks, everyone, for listening and your support of the Insiders. Yes, we'll have the uh, podcast late Sunday night into Monday morning, our player review uh, and the match recap as well on the Substack not long after that. So thank you, everybody. Uh, enjoy the last home game at the MCG. I think most of us are going to be there in some place of 
shape or form. If you see us, come and say hello. We'd love to meet you all. And we may do some sort of, we're thinking about some sort of live, some sort of catch-up uh, before the end of the season as well where we can meet you all in a person, perhaps have a drink or something somewhere, but working on those plans as well. Um, thank you, everyone, for, for being part of Spaces tonight. Enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy your weekend. And we will talk to you again very soon. Thanks and good night.